Week three, more bad vibes. For those of you that are new, we're walking through a season exploring the spirits behind certain activities, manipulation, betrayal, lying that you may experience. We've birthed this season from Ephesians 6, verse 12. We always declare it. Paul says, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against evil spirits. Our problem is not people. It's evil spirits. You were at the first service. Doesn't count. Our problem is not people. It's Your problem is not a person. Your problem is this spirit that you are battling, whether it's in your marriage, it's in your family, it's at work, it's among your friend group, wherever it may be, your problem is not a person. When you will go deeper than the person to fight against the spirit, you will find greater spiritual victory. When you, and, and, and it should be heavier, right? This should be, I, I don't know about you, but this season has been super heavy for me. I mean, just, and when you engage in that sort of spiritual warfare, it carries a different weight. You, I, Lorenzo told me, he's like, man, last Sunday, I could not go to sleep. Me either. It just bounces around in you. You are warring in a spiritual battle and your eyes are being open to things that are happening around you that are finally making sense. And now that you're making sense of them, you can battle them in a spiritual way. Our problem is not people. Our problem is, I promise you this, November is going to be gratitude, thanksgiving, joy, peace, and all the fun stuff, right? But we gotta, we gotta dig in when the Lord tells us to dig in, right? We've gotta dive in when the Lord tells us to dig in. And this week is the Judas spirit. It's the spirit of betrayal. And I, I wanna, I, this is going to be very, very, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I think there's three people in the room. There's three different types of people. There's one, uh, you have been betrayed. You have felt the pain, the heartbreak, the confusion, the emptiness, the, the absolute desolation, not being able to breathe, stomach empty, can't eat, absolutely crushed from betrayal. And betrayal hurts. It hurts worse because usually it comes from people you love the most. So betrayal is painful. If you are in here today and you have been betrayed, my prayer for you this whole week is that you would find healing this weekend. You would find healing from the betrayal. You would see the response of Jesus. You would see what he does in the midst of his betrayal, and you would find healing. There's another person in here today, and that is the person that is on the verge of making the worst decision in their entire life. You are this close to betrayal. You have unconfessed sin, you have unmet expectations, and right now your heart is this close to doing the unthinkable, to going to a space that you never thought you would go to, to doing something you would have never imagined. You are so close to betrayal. Here's my prayer for you, that you would run from it, that you would see the path that it paves for Judas and you would run from it. You would realize that the unrealistic exit that you are hoping for from this entire thing is not going to happen and you would run from this betrayal. Third person in the room is someone who has betrayed somebody else. You've already done it. You've already done it and 
Unfortunately for you, you have, you have inflicted that pain, that brokenness, and that hurt on somebody that you love dearly. You have, you have already gone to that space. And, and today, my prayer for you is this, that you will find redemption in the name of Jesus that you will find new hope in the name of Jesus, that you will realize that there is hope for you after doing something terrible, after betraying someone you love, after doing something hurtful. That's my prayer. So there are those who've been betrayed. Find your healing. There are those who are about to do it. Run from it. And there are those who have betrayed somebody. Find your redemption today. Are you ready? Okay. Spirit of Judas. Let's start here. Luke 9, 1 through 2. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples, circle the number, there's 12 of them, and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Remind you, Judas was one of the 12. He was one of the 12. He was called by God. He was loved by God. He was a follower of Jesus. He was chosen by Jesus. He was empowered to preach the message of Jesus. He was empowered to do miracles, to heal the sick, to touch the leper. He had a front row seat and backstage passes to the best sermons ever preached. He's worshiping on the Sea of Galilee, watching Jesus as he walks across the sea. He was in the boat. He was standing in the audience as Lazarus is raised from the dead. We have to wrap our minds around this. Judas was one of us. We are one of his. Like This is not some distant outlier that we look at and we're like, oh yeah, because here's what will happen. If you don't wrap your mind around the fact that Judas was one of us, Judas was worshiping. Judas was praising. Judas was preaching. Judas was anointed. Judas did miracles. If you don't wrap your mind around that, you will subconsciously tell yourself, oh, I'd never be a Judas. I would, I would never do something like that. Judas was one of us. I'll take it a step further. Judas was probably a little more spiritual than you were. Judas sat at Bible study with Jesus, okay? He didn't sit with some average preacher, He sat with Jesus, right? Judas was one of us. We have to remember that. We have to wrap our minds around that, that we could easily become a Judas because Judas was one of us. Judas' name means Jehovah leads. It is a variation of the name Judah, which is one of the most prominently spiritual names in Jewish history up until Judas betrays Jesus, okay? This is like, like, think about his parents. They named him Judas. The name was not synonymous with betrayal until after he did it. Before, it's Jehovah leads. It can also be interpreted praise. You, you, look, you name your, my, my children's names are Zion, Canaan, Zadok, and Ezra. We got the promised land, we got priests, we got prophets, we got everything in between. You hear my kids' names and you can think to yourself, I bet he's got some biblical ambition for them, right? You name your kid Judah, you've got some biblical ambition for that kid, right? Like you've got some spiritual weight behind. Imagine this young man named Judas, Jehovah. Now isn't it funny, one of the most unused names in the US is Judas for a child. Isn't that crazy? 
because he had such a, a powerful name given to him. Judas was from Kerioth. This is important to understand. We'll, we'll go back into this in point two, but Judas was from Kerioth. The other 11 disciples were from Galilee. So he's odd man out. He is the only one from this small town in southern Judea. He shows up. He's got this massively spiritual name. He joins the mission of Jesus. He links up with them, and he's the only outsider to join the mission of Jesus outside of Galilee. He goes from being one of the 12. These were, these were like the 12 were very, very well known. These were the leaders of the mission of Jesus. He goes from being that to being the only other person outside of the Antichrist to be called son of perdition. Son of perdition, John 17, 12, is used to describe Judas. It's only used to describe one other person in the Bible, and that's the Antichrist. How? How do you go from? How do you go from? Leading Bible study, leading prayer, showing up to men's group, serving in the church, serving in kids' ministry because the most spiritual people serve in kids' ministry, right? How do you, how do you go from like worshiping on the front row to being a forefront leader for the mission of Jesus to being the son of perdition with a name synonymous with betrayal? How do you? do that. Four ways. Four ways. I'll give them to you. Number one, unconfessed sin. First thing is unconfessed sin. Second thing with Judas was unmet expectations. He had expectations that were not met. Third thing is an unrepentant heart. He gave his heart to his betrayal. And the fourth is an unrealistic exit. He thought he had his way out and he didn't make it. You ready? Let's do it. All right, unconfessed sin, number one. John 12, four through six. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, now this is, this is important, and we'll go back to the context of this in point two, but here's what you need to know. There is this woman that has come to anoint the feet of Jesus prior to him going into crucifixion, and as she comes and she anoints his feet, you know the story. The disciples are like, what on earth is she doing? Judas pipes up, and he is like, you are using the most expensive perfume. Why are you wasting money? Okay, that's what you need to know. This woman comes to anoint the feet of Jesus, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Listen to this, verse six. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. See this, betrayers are a master at projection. Could call it gaslighting. They are a master at taking their sin and projecting it on everyone else around them. You are wasting money while he's stealing from the bag. You don't give me any attention, but they're texting somebody else. You have so deeply hurt me with your words, yet they have a dictionary of names that they call you when they're mad. 
You never talk to me, but you sit down at dinner and they're scrolling phone. It is this projection. It is, it is your fault. They project their sin on everyone around them to disguise themselves and instead of dealing with this unconfessed sin, they demonize everyone around them and it gives them this free pass in their minds. The only way a Judas spirit works is if it's your fault. The only way the betrayal works is if I can justify it by saying, you made me do this. You forced me to this space. You pushed me. This is all you. That's why some people who have been betrayed walk around telling people it's their fault. He cheated, it's my fault. Why? Because it's been projected on them for years. For years it's been you. For years it's everyone but me. For years it's been your problem. The projection becomes the validation for betrayal. Why can I do this? Because you pushed me. Why can I go, you made me do it is the statement that they betray by. I'll show you again, he does it to Jesus. Listen to Judas gaslight Jesus here. This is wild. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Verse 15, 16. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Several hours later, same afternoon, they're at dinner together. Watch this. Matthew 26, 24 through 25. 10 verses, couple hours later. This is Jesus, and he's at dinner with his disciples, and he's preparing them for what's to come. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays me. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Verse 25, Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? What? He's already done it. He's got the change in his pockets. He walked in jingling. <laughs> he sat down, he's got the money in his pockets. He's already taken the bribe. He's looking for the opportunity, yet when it comes time, what does he do? Project and push it off on Jesus. Wait, is, am I the one? No. Am I the one who would do this? We have to wrap our minds around something. Unconfessed sin projected on other people is only opening the door for way greater destruction in our life than we could ever imagine. You are not solving your problem, you are magnifying your sin. And all you are doing is opening the door for more of this to come in. And it will lead you to a place that, watch this, when unmet expectations happen, you feel like you have an excuse to do the unthinkable. Unconfessed sin, brewing and stewing and opening the door, then your expectations don't get met and you give your heart to that sin looking for an unrealistic exit and you do the unthinkable. 
Unconfessed sin is where this spirit starts. It opens the door for your heart to go to a space of betrayal. I don't know how to say it other than I have become my parents. Like, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. Like, I, I, I never thought I would. Never thought I would. And now I'm the guy that walks around the house, close the door, you're letting the AC out. Come on, there's, it's, it's 98 degrees outside and you're leaving the door open to go to the car and back for groceries. Can we close it and open it and close it? I mean, I just, I have, I don't know, I don't know what's happened to me. There's two lights on upstairs. I'm the guy, we're all leaving the house. Somebody go upstairs, turn them lights off. Y'all are costing me a fortune. You can pay the energy bill if you want to play that game, right? And then I look at this stupid box and it says these LED bulbs take seven cents a year to operate, you know, but it doesn't help. I'm still like, go upstairs, shut off the lights. We're not leaving, I'll make you pay the bills, right? So the other day I get home from work and the front door is wide open. Wide, I am walking, I'm like, these people, they don't listen to nothing I say, they don't care about the AC bill, they don't care about nothing around here, and I walk in, and I look around, and there's nobody in the house. And then I look, and the back door's open. Great, let's just create an airflow of hot air running through the house, right? Let's not just do one door, let's create a jet stream of 98 degree humidity to just blow through the house perfectly, right? Brilliant. Somebody passed physics. So I walk into the backyard, everyone's in the backyard, they're all playing, and I ask, I say, hey, anybody know the front door's open? Do you think anybody knew the front door's open? No, what, what? front door's open? Oops, sorry. Like, what are y'all doing? So we close up the doors, we shut everything down, and we're getting ready to go to bed, and I'm upstairs, and I'm putting kids to bed, and all of a sudden I hear this blood-curdling scream from downstairs. I come running downstairs. My wife is running. My son is freaked out. I'm like, there's a lizard! 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 I'm like, what? Uh, okay, right? It's not a big deal to me. She's like, what if it crawls into our bed while we're sleeping? What if, what if it bites me? What if it goes in my ear and down my throat and I swallow it and I have lizard babies in my belly? Like, just freaking out, right? So I'm running around the house. I'm throwing shoes. I'm moving couches. I'm gashing at this thing with a broom. We can't catch this lizard and the whole time I'm saying this is what happens when you leave the door open things you don't want in wind up in here I've got a friend who he had a bird get into his wife left the kitchen window open thought it was fun to cook with the window but a bird is how he called me he's like dude my wife is standing in the middle of the kitchen table with a pitcher and a broom trying to catch a bird in our house what do I do load the gun baby Repair the sheetrock later, just start firing, right? This is what happens. You leave the door open. Things will come in that you don't want in. I'll tell you something. Sin will take you further than you ever thought you would go. And it will do far more damage than what you thought you could control. It always, always, this is the Judas spirit, this unconfessed sin. Let me ask you, do you think that Judas, as he is standing on the Sea of Galilee, and he's listening to Jesus preach Matthew 5 through 7, and then he sees this boy with five loaves and two fish come up, and Jesus breaks it, multiplies it, gives it to his disciples, and they feed 5,000 people miraculously. Do you think Judas was thinking, I'm going to sell this guy out? No. But where 
did it start? There was something here that he didn't resolve. He was a thief, and he was lying about it, and he was projecting it on everybody else. Number one, unconfessed sin. When you have unconfessed sin, it magnifies unmet expectations. When your expectations are not met and you have unconfessed sin, you are two steps into doing something you never imagined you would do. This is so cool to to understand. Jewish history, the name Iscariot. I'll tell you, his name was Judas Iscariot. It has a dual meaning. It has two meanings to it, and both of them come together to form this man that we have to understand. The first meaning, Iscariot, was from Kerioth. Kerioth, as I told you, is a town in southern Judea. It was massively persecuted by Rome. Rome just beat the junk out of them all the time, right? They wanted something, they took it, they dominated them, they made them work for them, they persecuted them, they just, it was, it was heavily, heavily persecuted by Rome. Because of that persecution, the men of Kerioth also became known as dagger men. You can look this up in Jewish history, it's wild. The men from Kerioth were so persecuted and they were so upset that they began carrying daggers underneath their cloaks. They became political revolutionaries and every time they had the opportunity, there was a Roman governor or a Roman council member or someone who was in Roman leadership, if they found themselves within proximity, dagger came out, they would kill them and they would move, they were, they were known as these political revolutionaries that were trying to overthrow Rome. So here is the man Judas. Wrap your mind around this. He is a man who comes from a place heavily persecuted by Rome and also that raised up the greatest known assassins in the area for being political revolutionaries and executing Roman rulers. Incredibly important because now let's walk into context. The disciples, we have to understand this. The disciples, their first expectation of Jesus was a political revolutionary. Have to understand this. They were expecting Jesus to rise to power as king, to overthrow Rome, to set the Jewish captives free, to install Jewish leadership, and to take over. That was their expectation. Their first expectation was Jesus, political revolutionary, overthrow Rome, set Jewish people free, and take over and free the captives. I'll show you one of the instances here, Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. So Jesus calls his disciples together, and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. When I do, they're going to capture me, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me, but I will raise again. Listen to Peter's response. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him by saying such, for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. What do you mean they're going to kill you? What do you mean they're going to crucify? This is not happening to you. You are our leader. You're the one who's going to help us overthrow Rome. Verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. 
You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. They wanted the Lion of Judah, not the Lamb of God. What are the things that they fought over? Who would sit at his right hand? Who would be the greatest among them? Who's going to be prince when he's king? Ooh, me, 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 me. Jesus says, not your cup to drink, friend. You don't want it. Jesus says, you don't want to drink my cup. You don't want to participate in where I'm headed, right? Over and over, what, what, Hosanna was a political saying of the day that meant save us. Palm branches were waved in victory. Easter weekend was a political rally. Hosanna's going to save us. Wave the branches for victory. They're all expecting it. And what happens? He's arrested. He's crucified. Can you imagine Judas? Can you imagine Judas in the midst of this? It's most evidenced by who they convinced the, the Roman soldiers to release. Jesus is on a cross. Barabbas is next to him. The political leader said, we'll give you one. You take your pick. They chose Barabbas. Who was Barabbas? A murderer. He was a political revolutionary who was arrested and being crucified for killing a Roman governor. That's what they wanted. Give us the man who's going to take out Rome. Give us the man who's going to slaughter them all. Right? So now, Wrap all of this together with me. You have Judas who has joined the mission of Jesus and he has been preaching the message of Jesus and he's seen the miracles of Jesus but all along he also has this expectation and when it finally comes to a head and he realizes his expectation is not going to be met, what does he do? Now we're digging deep. He is expecting Jesus to take over. When Jesus doesn't meet Judas's expectations, he betrays him. When the crowd that was chanting Hosanna realizes Jesus is not going to meet his, their expectations, what do they do? They chant, crucify him, king of the Jews. They had an unmet expectation. This is when you're seven years into marriage and you loved your spouse, you're excited for everything, you move into the house together and then all of the sudden after seven years you have an unmet expectation. It is not what I thought marriage would be. You have a job and it has not turned out what you thought it would be and five years in you're not where you thought you would be in your career and you have an unmet expectation. What do you do with that? What do you do with these unmet, look at the, watch this turning point with Judas. I told you we'd go back into the story, okay? So Judas has come, they've all come around. This woman has come and she is anointing Jesus for a very specific reason. It'll tell us in the text. They're anointing Jesus for his death. Watch Judas turn here. Matthew 26, 10 through 15. But Jesus, aware of this, replied. She anoints his feet. Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. Jesus is saying, it's happening. It's happening. 
I am being prepared to be captured by Rome and to be crucified and killed. It is happening. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. Verse 14, here it is. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? An unmet expectation. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought would happen. This is not what I thought life would be like. This is not what I thought following Jesus would be like. This is not what I thought marriage would be like. This is not what I thought this career would be like. When you have unmet expectations, you have an opportunity for one of two things. Number one, selfish actions. If you have an unmet expectation, you can manipulate that into, I can do what I want now. You have unconfessed sin coupled with an unmet expectation. Now I have license to do what I want to do. And I'm going to project it on everybody around me. Number one, selfish action. Number two, spiritual submission. Number two, you can take that expectation, you can offer it before the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I expected, and it is not it. And nevertheless, I offer it to you, and I entrust you to it. Look at Jesus' response, John chapter 13. One through three, Jesus has his disciples gathered around. He knows now that Judas has already, has already committed to betray him. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and he loved them to the very end. It was the time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, so, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse three, this is Jesus' perspective. What it just said is Jesus is sitting at dinner and he knows the most horrific, gruesome betrayal and death is coming his way and yet what does he do? Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would return to God. This is so powerful. Jesus has an unmet expectation in Judas. And yet, what does he say? I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going, and I am not letting betrayal rob me of my future. I am not letting betrayal rob me of my identity. I know where, I, he knew he had a problem with Judas, but he did not allow that to change his perspective. Where is he? Judas is betraying me, but I know where I came from and I know where I'm headed. You have an opportunity with an unmet expectation to exercise submission to the Lord. I mean, I'll tell you, the past year, when I think of unmet expectation, um, I'll invite you in, my wife posted it on Instagram. We, you know, when we, had, when we decided to have baby number four, we, um, we, we got pregnant, and at that time, we, we just knew, we prayed, we were excited for baby number four, and we were, we were expecting it, and four weeks later, we lost that baby. And after we lost that baby, it was just heartbreaking, right? It never happened to us before. We lose that baby, and then my wife gets pregnant a second time, and we're excited, and we're like, okay, now we see it, God. This is the redemption for the first one, right? Now we get it. This is the redemption. Here we go, and on Mother's Day weekend, we lose that baby. And now I'm sitting here saying, two? 
Like two in a row, one on Mother's Day weekend. When Lord, I thought this one was the redemption for that one, and now we have two. And then my wife gets pregnant a third time, and we're and then we make it past like that eight week time. We know where it's like most most at risk. We make it past that time, and we're starting to celebrate. And we're like, this one's gonna stay. This one's gonna last. And then. Three months later, the doctor calls us and says, I'm sorry, but we found trisomy 21 in his blood. He has Down syndrome. We're like, what? What? Like, we thought this was the redemption for the first two, and now he's got Down syndrome? Like, we're going to do this all over again? You talk about an opportunity for doubt? You talk about an opportunity for questioning? You talk about an opportunity to say, what in the heck are you doing? Are you serious? And then you get on Google, and that's the worst thing to do, right? And you start reading about heart problems and hole in the heart, and you start reading about kidneys and kidney problems, and you read about brain function and short life expectancy, and you read about all of these things, and then all of a sudden this fear creeps in, and your unmet expectations start to make your mind go crazy. And then he's born. And after he's born, we're, we're, we look, and the first thing we say, we look at him, she holds him, she looks at him, we're praying for a miracle, looks at him, looks at me, and we both said, he does. He does. You can see it in his face. You can see his beautiful little face, his Down syndrome. Like, he, he does. And they checked him, and they, they confirmed it. 45 minutes later, we're in an ambulance rushing downtown. I'm sitting in the front seat of an ambulance. He has to have a life-threatening surgery within the first hour, and I am literally riding there saying, don't do this again. What are we doing? He was healthy. He looked great. The birth was great. It was the best one yet, and yet here we are, unmet expectations. One of two choices, I can bail. I can curse God, I can betray, I can run on everything that I've been standing for and believing and praying for, or I can say, I have no idea what you are doing or why this is happening, but three words I love to pray. You are bigger than anything I could face. You are better than anything that's gonna come at me today, and you love me beyond my wildest mistakes. So this is yours. This unmet expectation is yours. This giant void. Judas had an unmet expectation he could not reconcile. He stewed on it daily, bothered him daily. It, it just rested right. And instead of submitting it to God's greater plan, he held on to it and made a plan of his own. Now we get to the good stuff. Unrepentant heart. So you have this unconfessed sin that has opened up this door. You have this unmet expectation that is just tempting him to bail. In John chapter 13, Jesus gathers his disciples for one last meal together before his looming betrayal. We just touched on it a second ago, but I want you to hear this, this unrepentant heart. John 13, 26 through 27, Jesus responded, it, they asked him, they said, who's, who's the one that's going to betray you? Because he keeps talking about being betrayed. So they ask him again, who's going to betray you? Catch this. Jesus answers, it is the one to whom I give the bread, I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27. Listen to this. 
when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you are going to do. Jesus introduces this juxtaposition that you find throughout the entire narrative of Scripture, and it goes something like this. What you eat from will fill you. What you eat from will fill you. Let's start at the garden. Happens. There's a garden. There's all of this vegetation for you to eat, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you're going to have problems. And what does Eve do? What you eat from will fill you. Roll into the Levitical Code. What is it all about? Don't eat these things that have been sacrificed to idols. Eat the meat that has been pure, that's been drained of blood, that is appropriate for eating. What you eat from will fill you. Jesus introduces communion. This is what we do. We take the blood, we eat the wafer, and we are eating from the one who has all authority in our life. We are eating from his table. What you eat from will fill you. Watch Paul. Paul brings this up. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. How many of you just heard Bree saying, I've held the devil's cup. I felt the weight within, so I threw it back on. That's what we're we're talking about, right? The, The cup you drink from, the food you eat will fill you, right? Look at Paul. He continues on. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and the table of demons Two, I'm going to hand you two meals. You have a choice. I'm going to hand you the meals and this, watch, Paul does it again. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 30. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why we talk about if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't take the Lord's table. Why? Because what you eat from will fill you. And if you eat from it and you're not part of it, then you will be filled with the wrong things. Here he goes. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if the bread or drink, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. The table that you eat from will fill you. They said, who is going to betray you? Jesus dips the bread into the the soup. He hands it to Judas and he eats it. He eats it. That's when he decided to not just respond to the text, but to show up to the hotel room and do something he never thought he would do. He eats it. I told you at the very beginning, there are those of you that are in here, and you're this close to making the worst decision of your life. You haven't done it yet, but you've got the bread in your hand. Whatever you do, don't eat it. Don't eat it. Throw it away. Throw it in the trash. How does he betray Jesus? With a kiss. Do you see the intimacy of his betrayal? He gave his heart to it. He gave his heart to it. He said, I am going to eat from this cup, and I'm going to give my heart to this betrayal. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. If you're this close, and you know what you're doing, 
And you see, and here is the problem. He gave his heart to it. Why? Let's land here. He had an unrealistic exit. He thought he was getting out of it. What does he want? He wants out. His expectations aren't met. He's done with it. He's finished, right? Jesus didn't do what I expected him to do. I'm not going through with this. I'm not going to be a part of this team anymore. I want out. How much money will you give me to hand him over to you? I'll eat the bread. I'll take the cash. And I will give him away to you. This is where I want to be very sensitive, but I do want to go here. Because how this ends for Judas, I think, is one of the biggest problems that we're facing, especially among teenagers and young people. But it's something we have to understand because Judas had an unrealistic exit that he thought was going to get him out of it. He had unconfessed sin that opened a door. His expectations weren't met. He had his excuse. He gave his heart to the betrayal. He said, fine, I'll do it. No more talking about it. No more looking at it. No more texting about it. I'll do it. And then what does he do? He thinks he's getting out. Matthew 27, 3 through 7. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. That word filled is bursting. He is bursting. He is looking back and he is saying, what on earth have I done? What on earth have I done? I cannot believe I went there. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. Verse 4. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. Listen to this. You're this close and you think that your sin loves you. You think that your sin cares for you. You think that it's an exit. You think that it's an excuse. You think it's going to solve all of your problems. You think they'll treat you better and meet your needs better than the last person. You think all of these things and yet look at what happens. He lays it down. He said, I've made a huge mistake. Here's the money back. And they say, what do we care. Your sin does not care about you. Your sin does not love you. Betrayal is not a friend. Betrayal is not an exit. Betrayal says, great, we got you. You imploded your life. What do we care? Enjoy. That's your problem. Wow. Here it is. Verse 5. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field and they made it into a seminary or to a cemetery for people who are unknown, for foreigners. Judas had an unrealistic exit. He thought he was getting out of it. 
He thought it was his get-out-of-jail-free card. He thought it would satisfy him more than the mess that he found himself in. He thought it would fix his unmet expectations, and he took a bite, and he gave his heart to it. And what happened? He found himself with nowhere to go. I want to talk to you today if you are in here and you've done it. You're in here and you find yourself in a mess. You find yourself in a disaster and you thought you had an unrealistic exit and you went there, you took the bite, and now you're saying to yourself, what on earth have I done? Here's what I want to tell you. I I am not one of these preachers that's going to give you a false hope. There may be no exit to the mess that you're in. I'm not one who's going to tell you, all you have to do is call on Jesus and every day is a Friday and you're going to be happy and everything will be fixed and you'll walk out of here with a smile on your face. Not me. You very well may find yourself in a mess and you may not have an exit, but in that mess, you can become a new person. By the blood of Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. What did Jesus do, John chapter 13, knowing full well that Judas would betray him? What did he do? Got on his knees and he washed his feet. And what does he say when they asked him, why are you washing us? He said, because those who are dirty need to be cleansed. This is it. This is your exit. This is your only answer. You're not going to find it in the false reality of betrayal. You will only find it by calling on the name of Jesus, the only name that can save, the only name that can heal the brokenness of your heart, the only name that stepped right into the center of betrayal, put it on the center of his chest, went to a cross for it, died for it, rose again from it, and gave us the Holy Spirit to come into our heart and to transform Form us. You have unconfessed sin, confess it. Confess it to God for healing and repentance. Confess it to others for accountability. Hey, brother, I am. Lord, I have this unconfessed sin and it is opening a door in my heart. Will you please forgive me and heal me from it? Listen, brother, I am struggling here and I need your prayer. I need your encouragement. I need your accountability and I need your support. You have unconfessed sin. Confess it. You have unmet expectations. They become an offering to the Lord. Lord, here are my expectations. I expected so much more, and none of it is happening, and I'm heartbroken by it, but where else am I going to go? Here are my unmet expectations. You have an unrepentant heart. You're holding the bread, and you are so tempted to take a bite of the bread. You have an unrepentant heart. The Holy Spirit, what is it? In Ezekiel chapter 37, turns a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You call out for the Holy Spirit to heal your broken heart and you realize this. The exit is false. It's lying to you. But there is a name in the middle of your mess that can save you. There is a name in the middle of your mess that can redeem you. There is a name in the middle of your mess that can heal you. There is a name in the middle of your mess that can set you free. His name is Jesus.